Today on this last Sunday of Advent, we revisit Mary's story from the Gospel of Luke. When last we left her, she had been visited by the angel Gabriel, who had some pretty crazy news. News that could get Mary killed, and news that would turn the world upside down. So young Mary musters her courage, and in the face of this miraculous call, she says, yes, let it be with me. But still, Mary finds herself in a bit of a mess. And the world in which Mary found herself was also in a bit of a mess, too. After all, her people had been under occupying Roman oppression, where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer, where injustice was the norm. So Mary found herself in a situation where the powerful could sweep everything she knew away and barely even notice. She was poor in a world where the wealthy were untouchable and were shaping the world to benefit themselves. She wanted to believe Gabriel's promises, but somehow, that somehow the child within her would bring about some sort of salvation. That somehow God would use this child, still growing within her womb, to turn the world around. I imagine Mary, after the angel's visit, wondering if it all could be true. Did she dream it? And so we're told she goes to visit her much older relative, Elizabeth, who had had a visitation of her own and was now with child in her old age. Mary meets Elizabeth, and the total acceptance and blessing she receives from Elizabeth, Mary takes as another sign from God that God is definitely doing a new thing. And so Mary can't help but break into song. Throughout history, the song that Mary sings, which we're going to read in a minute, which we call the Magnificat, has been a powerful one to people on the margins who want desperately to believe that God can bring liberation to their plight. It is so revolutionary, in fact, that it has actually been banned from three different countries in the last century because it was so dangerously subversive. And if that doesn't whet your appetite for uh, listening to this passage with new ears, I don't know what will. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. 
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh God, as our pace quickens with more preparations to make than time in which to make them, remind us that there is enough time for what is important. As you came to Mary, startling, startling her with unlikely news, so, O oh God, startle us this morning with the news of your coming into history, into our lives, with love and reconciliation and renewal. Help us, O oh God, to hear it all again, as if for the first time. Amen. My colleague John Buchanan tells this great story about the Christmas time long ago when he and his wife were attempting to counteract all of the commercial hullabaloo around Santa and presents. And so he sat down with one of his young children in the middle of a December to assemble this cardboard cutout crush. The stable, the manger, little baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, the sheep, the cows, the wise men. Now it was one of those fold on the dotted line, place tab A into slot B sort of deals. Kind of like the Ikea of cheap, cheap crushes. Well, it turned out to be a disaster. Nothing worked the way it was supposed to, and, and soon the kitchen table was strewn with torn, bent, and useless figurines. Apart from a whole lot of scotch tape, this was not going to work. So surveying the disastrous scene on the kitchen table, his four-year-old partner, whom he had been trying to explain the real meaning of Christmas, that Jesus was God's son, turned to him and he said, So, Daddy, just where is God in this mess? That is the quintessential Christmas question. I would argue it's probably our most important existential question. Where is God in this mess? Inquiring minds want to know. When I sent Seth the, my sermon title this week, his reply was, great title, tell me if you have the answer. <laughs> Where is God in this mess? Uh, Diana Butler Bass, whose blog I follow, said 
this week that one of her readers wrote in and said, I am sick of this Advent waiting. It's been so long, and the kingdom still feels so far away. Justice just doesn't come. Nothing seems to be getting better. Never in human history has the gap between rich and poor been so great. We live in the shadow of climate disaster and nuclear threat, bigotry, injustice, and violence mark our days. Autocracy and authoritarianism undermine fragile democracy and human rights. Where is God in this mess? And yet, I think that's why we tell the story year after year. It's a story of liberation, of hope, of a vision of justice that enlarges our own hope and our resolve for a world made right, a vision of a world turned upside down, a story of a loving God being present despite all odds in the midst of the mess and a fulfillment of God's hope and dream of what the world could be, what it can be. Author Barbara Brown Taylor says that one liability of having heard the Christmas story over and over again is that we know, don't we, how it turns out. There is no real way to recapture the shock of the news that God is coming in the flesh to show us what love looks like, what the world could be. Year after year, our Christmas celebration reminds us that God does not stand way off at a distance waiting for us to come to God. Instead, God has come all the way to us. And maybe what the waiting of Advent is all about is for us to revisit the story again so we can choose God and God's vision all over again. Mary wonders if it could be true, and in her shock and wonder, she visits Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth confirms the promises of God, Mary springs into song, right there, right there in Elizabeth's living room. It's the very first Advent song. She sings of a world that's about to turn. She sings. She sings with abandon, with every ounce of her being. She sang into her anxiety. She sang into the darkness. She sang into the unknown. She sang into her hope, into those things she dared to dream, and into the depths of her faith. She sang of justice. She sang of faithfulness. She sang of what the world might be. She sang of magnifying God's love. She sang of where God had been, but also was still promising to be in this mess. Scholar David Luce wonders 
about why Luke put Mary's song into his gospel. And his answer is that singing, singing is, among other things, an act of resistance. Enslaved people knew this when they sang their spirituals. They were both praising God and protesting the masters who locked them out of worship but couldn't keep them out of the promise of deliverance of the Bible. The civil rights leaders knew this, singing songs like, We Shall Overcome, when so many in society didn't give them a chance to advance their cause of justice. And the protesters in East Germany in 1989 knew this well. For several months preceding the fall of the Berlin Wall, the citizens of Leipzig gathered on Monday evenings by candlelight at St. Nikolai Church to sing. And over the next following two months, their numbers grew from a little more than 1,000 to more than 300,000 people. Over half the citizens of the city came to sing, singing songs of hope and protest and justice until their song shook the powers of their nation and changed the world. Later, when someone asked one of the officers of the Stasi, the East German police, why they did not crush this protest as they had done so many others, the officer replied, we had no contingency plan for song. We had no contingency plan for song. In fact, as I mentioned before, Mary's Magnificat so enraged the engaged the imagination of people on the margins that during British rule in India, it was prohibited from being sung in churches. In Guatemala in, in the 1980s, Mary's words were inspiring the Guatemalan poor to believe that change was indeed possible. So the government banned any public recitation of Mary's words. And in Argentina, after the mothers whose children had disappeared during the Dirty War placed the words of Mary's song on posters and hung them up in the Capitol Plaza, the military junta outlawed any public display of it. And yet Mary sings. Amidst the hopelessness of the people of Israel, perpetual perpetually under the thumb of Roman rule, God dares place a song of joyous resistance in Mary's heart. And she, like a long list of female prophets in the Hebrew Bible, she dares to sing it. Who knows if she sang it in tune? Who knows if she had the pipes of Ella Fitzgerald? or more like Bob Dylan. We don't. But what we do know is that in the face of the mess in which Mary found herself, she sang of finding God's favor with the lowly, of God turning the world upside down, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, she sings, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. God has mercy on those who fear God in every generation. God has shown the strength of God's arm and has scattered the proud from their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich God has sent away empty. Notice that she sings these things in the past tense. These are things that God has already done and continues to do. She sings of God's promises to Israel, which are even now being fulfilled. Just like Abraham and Sarah and David and Mary herself, God has promised to use ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. The poor, the outcast, the foreigner, the one who didn't make the team, they could all be the one that God is calling to change the world. The lowest matter, the poor matter, those right in the center of a mess matter to God. God sees them, God loves them, God is with them, with us, and brings about the kingdom that we cannot yet fully envision. Where is God in this mess? The claim, of course, is that God is right there in the middle of it, whatever it is. The mess of a long journey when you are nine months pregnant. The mess of no place to stay for the night. The mess of giving birth in a stable the mess of a census, the mess of a political situation so fragile that any hint of threat to the powers that be will be seen as a warrant to kill all the babies, just in case, which Luke tells us King Herod did when he heard about the birth in Bethlehem. The claim is that the God of love chose to assume the limitations of human life to enter human history in of all things, the birth of a baby who would go on to show us the way to life. We might prefer God off in the sky on a throne as an elegant philosophical abstraction, but a baby? God coming to us in a human birth and human life and human death. There is God in this mess. God with us. Friends, you and I know all too well that while the poor are still poor and the powerless still seem to get a raw deal and that the powerful seem quite firmly planted on their thrones. Thank you very much. But Mary's subversive song reminds us of God's promises through the century, promises to ordinary people to carry God into the world. God promises to use us to turn the world around in large ways and small ones, 
God chooses us to make God's presence known in whatever mess we find ourselves. God is in this mess, this life, with you and me and this beautiful, maddening world. In the middle of this mess that is our life in the world, our joys and sorrows, our hopes and fears, our successes and our defeats, our births and our deaths, we trust deeply that the giver of it all came to us and comes to us and was born into the world in Bethlehem so many years ago. And the world is about to turn. Amen.